Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much. It's a new year, Lord. Uh, I so look forward to what it is that you have planned for this year. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this morning that we gather together in this time and in this place and that we have your word to open up and to go through uh, as we do, Lord. So I thank you for that. I ask your blessing on this. I pray that you would take this time in these words, Lord. And as the master, I pray that you would take this and paint a masterpiece this morning. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's look at this. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know what's interesting right off the bat to me? Paul addresses this letter to the children. Paul is assuming that children will be present when this letter is read. Remember, he wrote this letter to, well, the church in Ephesus. I happen to believe he wrote it to to be read in many churches, but it was to be read in the church of Ephesus. So Paul is directing this part of this letter to children. He's saying, children, he's assuming that they'll be there when this letter is read, when they come together, when they gather together to hear this letter that was written, they were to bring their children with them. That means that there was going to be parents, because what we're going to see just in a little couple of verses here, that he's going to say fathers. So he's saying, I'm assuming there's going to be children there. I'm assuming there's going to be fathers there. Um, there's going to be parents there. He's assuming that they will be together. And now, I was really fortunate growing up is that my parents made me go to church every single Sunday. Uh, we went, and there was no question we were going, and we would all go together and would sit in the same. My church had pews, old wooden pews, and we would all sit there, and we were supposed to be very quiet. And um, with pews, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you start laughing at this end and you're holding it in so that you, you're, the whole thing starts to move so that my dad sitting way down here could feel it and he'd be like. But Paul's assuming that all the children in the families will be together when this letter is read. And so like, you know what, I, I was in church, but I have heard some people tell me that their parents would just drop them off at the door of the church, go on and go. And then they would go and they would do something else and they would just drop them off at church. They didn't want to go themselves, but they assumed something good was going on there so that their kids could go in there. Maybe they were just looking for a break. The other side of that is I've also heard that people who have children at home don't bring their children to church. They're like, well, I don't want to make them go. I, don't want, I want them to want to go to church. And Paul would say, make them go. Get them up, bring them to church with you. I could tell you from my own personal experience growing up that I did not want to go to church. And I could try to think of every excuse I could get out of going to church. And my parents were not having it. They brought me to church every week, every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, by the way. They brought me to church. Look where I am. <laughs> I'm here now every day. Something worked, something clicked. I can't tell you that it wasn't always that for me. As soon as I was out of my parents' authority, I didn't go to church. I was like, I mean, no one's making me go. I'm not going to go. But God was like, but I'm not done with you yet. You know, he did not let go of me. 
Children, obey your parents. You know what this doesn't say? Parents, be best friends with your children. It does not say, parents, be best friends with your children. So you can all be buddy buddies. And, and so that when you, you could overhear your, your teenage daughter say, my mom and I are best friends. It doesn't say that. It says, children, obey your parents. But what that also means is, parents, make your children obey. This is the message. The word obey here, it actually means be under the authority It means, children, you are to be under the authority of your parents. Parents, teaching your children to obey will help them grow up knowing how to obey God, to be under his authority, even when they don't understand why. Parents, have you ever said this? I want you to go in and clean up your room. And what does your child say in return? Why? I said this, but it's my room. Like, I thought it was my room. I was under the illusion that I owned that space within my parents' house. Guess what? I did not. My parents made that super clear to me. You don't own this room. You're borrowing it. My parents said, go and clean your room. And I said, why? And my parents said, because I told you so. In essence, sometimes God will say, I'm calling you to obey. And we say, but why? And God says, because I told you so. When we say as a parent, because I told you so, it's what we're saying is, because I know better than you. I've maybe experienced something along this same line that will help you. I can help you if you would just obey what it is that I'm telling you. And God says the same thing. If I told you, you wouldn't understand anyway, so just obey. Knowing that, I know better than you. I love you, and I want good for you. Teach your children to obey you, and they will learn what it means to obey God in the times when it's hard and they don't understand or want to. Now, I just need to pause for a second and talk about the word children in this context. Um, This word children, it does literally mean someone who is in full dependence of their father. Okay, Oftentimes we'll see like John would write a letter to the church and he'll say little children, and it's kind of a term of endearment, and he means the adults as well. But Paul is literally talking to those who are living in full dependence of their parents, like children living at home. However... If you are a child living at home and you're 22 years old, guess what? You are still to obey your parents because you're living in full dependence of of your parents in their house. Obey. Now, sometimes people will say, well, doesn't children mean also like adults? And he... He's not talking about adults who still have parents who are alive and technically you are their children, although he is going to just touch on that in verse 2 a little bit where he's going to say, honor your father and mother. So we're going to move on to that. But children, children, look at me. Are we clear? What are you to do? I I hear a lot of parents saying that. Children, obey. I'm telling you, it will be good. Now, there is a little bit of a clarification in there. He says, obey, as his says, well, let's take, what does this say? In the Lord. 
See that part? In the Lord. Children, if your parents ask you to lie or cheat or steal or do something contrary to what the Lord would have you do, then you don't have to obey that. But he says, um, in the Lord, so that if it's within what the Bible says, you are to obey. So if you're, if you're, uh, Dad comes up and says, I want you to go and, uh, you know, just like, I'm going to distract the clerk and you go and fill your pockets. No, no, no. And don't do that. I don't want anybody accusing me later, writing me later, being like, you know, no. Okay, verse two, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and your mother is a commandment that God gave them from the very beginning. And it's repeated a couple of times in the Old Testament. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment. The word honor there, it actually means value them. So now it does move a little bit beyond just children. And he says, if you had a mother or a father, how many of you had a mother or a father? (laughs) Good, most. All right. It says that we are to value our father and our mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. The promise is, what is it? That you will, it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. And so, all right, so for those of us who had, you know, pretty decent moms and dads and still do, we can say, I, I can value, I value my parents. I do. Um, I get that some of you didn't have great experiences with your mothers or your fathers. And maybe they're with you still. Maybe they're not with you still. And you're like, I don't honor them. They were, they were, they, they were abusive. They were absent. Uh, there's nothing honorable about them. And I think that what God would say is, can you find some value in your father or your mother that you can then take with? First of all, part of that is, can you forgive them? Can you let go of the bitterness that maybe you're holding on to? And can you find some value? I feel like there's no value. They had no value, no value at all. Well, you're here. And without them, you wouldn't be here. And I'm glad for that. And there's value in that to me. I'm glad you're here. But if nothing else, could you say that I learned what not to do from my mother or my father? I learned that that is not the way to be a father. That is not the way. And you know who's going to value that? Your children are going to value that. There is value there. This idea of like, when it says, and, and I guess the Lord just kept pounding this onto me this week, but when it says, well, you know, children obey and, and honor your father and your mother, and we say, but what about, but what about, but what about, is almost our first reaction is if we want to say, yeah, but I'm the exception, I'm the exception. What about this? What about this situation? And I think the Lord says, you know what? Can you find any value? The value is you're here. You're here. There's value there. Let go of the bitterness that is in your heart towards your mother or your father. If that's what you're carrying around, release it, forgive, and move on. Verse 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, here you go. Do not provoke. Provoke means frustrate or exasperate. Do not exasperate your children. And I, you know what I always used to, whenever I used to read this verse, I says, fathers, don't provoke your children. I always used to think it was like, like, don't get them in the head. Like, ha, ha, ha. Here's it. were like, you grabbed their hand. Like, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? Like that idea. But I, I don't think that's what this is anymore. 
And then I thought, well, maybe it means like as, as a father, I'm not supposed to like um, treat my children harshly or belittle them or break down their confidence and make myself feel good in the process. And, and although I think that we shouldn't do that, I don't believe that's what Paul means because Paul, who's he writing to? He's writing to fathers who are already believers. He's writing to Christian fathers. So I think he's assuming they're not going to belittle their children on purpose. They're not going to break them down. But I think, what, so what is he talking about? What's the, what is he saying when he says, don't frustrate or exasperate your children? And I think the answer is actually in the verse. Because look, he says, um, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The word bring them up, the, the, that phrase, it means nourish. Nourish your children. Fathers, nourish your children. In what? In the training, which means discipline, and admonition, which is counsel of the Lord. Nourish your children in the discipline and the counsel of the Lord. In other words, it's this, okay? If you don't train them how to behave and then expect them to behave in a certain way, and then punish them when they don't behave in that way, they will be confused and exasperated and rebellious. Do you understand? If you say that I expect you to act in a way that I haven't taught you how to act, and when you don't do it, I'm going to punish you, they're going to say, I, I, how am I supposed to act? You're not telling me you, don't, you are not training me how to do it. And so Paul is saying, you cannot expect your children to act a certain way unless you train them to act that way. If you do so, if you do expect that, and then you punish them when they don't, you are frustrating your children. And Paul says, don't do that. Rather, train them, discipline them, and nourish them in the way that the Lord calls us to bring them up in the word. Do you, does that make sense? <clears throat> Parents, teach your children how to obey, and children, do it. And you will live long on the earth. That's the promise. You will all live long. If parents, you teach your kids. Kids, you do what your parents say. We all live happily ever after. Amen? All right. <clears throat> all right. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with the fear and trembling and sincerity of the heart as to Christ. So, bond servant, you remember what that means. Bond servant is a servant by choice. That is that someone who was a servant whose term of service came up and they said, you know what? This is such a good situation that I'm just going to stay. I'm going to give up all my own individual rights because if I go out on my own, then I'm literally out on my own and uh, I'm just going to stay with you and I'm going to continue to be your servant. And then, then they would put like an earring in their ear to indicate that they were a bond servant. And so it is a servant by choice. So in our context, modern day context, a bond servant is who? An employee, right? An employee means that I go to work by choice and I have... Uh, a person who I am uh, working for, who is my employer, and that is who Paul's talking about masters. Bond servants and masters for us is talking about employees and employers. Employers, be obedient to those who are your employers according to the flesh. See, because not a master according to the spirit, but a master according to the flesh. He's saying a person 
with fear and trembling sincerity of heart as to Christ. In sincerity of heart, you know what that means? Good attitude. Have a good attitude. When you go to work, when you go to do your job, have a good attitude. Look at him like, I hate this job. Stupid job. I wish I didn't have to do it. Don't then. If you're going to have a bad attitude, go and do something where you will have a good attitude. But if you have a job and you're going in, go in with a good attitude. He's going to say that you are to work as if your employer is Jesus himself. Have an attitude that says, I work for the Lord. Yeah, this guy pays my salary, but I work for the Lord. Everything that I do, I do unto the Lord as if Jesus is my boss. Knowing that and going forward, like, I know you probably have tomorrow off, but Tuesday, when you go into your job, imagine that Jesus is your boss. And you'll be like, Jesus, I got a little cold. I'm not going to be able to come in today, probably. Who would do that? Would you call up Jesus and be like, <coughs> like fake a cough? I think he'd know. It would, there would be a verse in here that says, knowing their heart, he said, <laughs> would, you, would you steal time? Would you steal anything? What would your attitude be like towards the people that you work with? What would your attitude be towards the assignments that you're given to do if you had the realization that I'm actually doing this job as if Jesus is my employer? Because that is what Paul is saying. That will change your attitude. You will be able to do your work with sincerity of heart. Paul says, in case you don't know how to do it, here's how. Verse 6. Not with eye service. That not with eye service simply means that when your boss comes in, you're like looking really busy. I'm so busy. You're you know picking up calls. You're you're writing with your other hand. You're typing and writing. You're looking really busy. But as soon as he leaves, you're just like, that's eye service. Don't do that. He says, don't work that way. Not with eye service. as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as the Lord and not to men. Again, he's reiterating the idea that you do your job as if you are doing it unto the Lord. If Jesus came in, you'd be like, act real busy. I'm really busy. I'm really busy, Lord. I I got like a line of people I'm going to witness to out there. I've got like 16 chapters I'm going to read this morning. Guess what? He would know. He would know. I wrote a note here that this idea of eye service, man pleasers, is like a a hollow chocolate bunny. (laughs) It looks good, right? Solid, big. You're just like, oh, man. Remember as a kid, and you'd get that, and you'd be like, and then you find out it's like that thin, and it's hollow all the way through, like, rip off. But that's what doing work as a man, as eye service, as a man pleaser is like. It's like that thin chocolate bunny. I mean, it looks from the outside like it's full and thick, but it's just nothing on the inside. <clears throat> With goodwill. Oh, I did that. Verse eight, knowing that whatever the good, good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, employers here, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master in heaven uh, is in heaven and there is no partiality 
with him. And so he is talking about, remember actually, even from the last week, he's talking about the, the order um, and, the, <clears throat> and the proper properness, properness, no, nah, whatever, of relationship. Remember the relationship between Christ and the husband, husband and the wife. Now he's talking about the children and the parents and the fathers and the children and now employers and employees and all of it falls under this idea of relationship because that is the thing that God wants to have with you, relationship. And he's demonstrating the proper order of relationship, the importance of relationship. You know, if you're a boss and you have employees, stop threatening. <laughs> that just makes me laugh because I, I I've never really been a boss, so I don't know. Does that work? <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I'm going to think about that, actually. Stop threatening. Give up threatening. <laughs> All right, verse 10. Finally. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Finally, it's, the word finally here, it, it kind of comes at the end of the letter. And so it makes you think that he's actually saying, finally, like this is my final point. Um, and maybe you're thinking, oh, good, <laughs> finally. But that's not actually what the word means, finally. It means um, henceforth or quite literally from this time forward. From this time forward, which is really important because all of the stuff that he's going to tell you from this point forward is so important for you from this time forward. So from this moment, as we talk about this, going out from this place, all of these next verses are so important for you to get. And Paul, he goes through this you know, whole letter of talking about this is who God is, and this is what he's done for you, and this is who you are to him, and this is who he should be to you. And now this is what you are to do. You're supposed to get up and walk in unity. You're supposed to get up and walk in purity. You're supposed to get up and walk in the light. And in light of the light, now you're supposed to treat your wife this way and treat your husband this way, and you're supposed to treat your children and your employees and your employers this way. And now he says, and from this point now, going forward, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong is a word that means, it's, uh, in Greek, it's indunimo. It actually means strength which intensifies. Strength which intensifies. Not just be strong, but like be being strong. And not just be being strong, but get stronger. Strength that intensifies. And then he says in verse, uh, I'm going to read 11, just follow along, 11 through 13. First, we're going to read it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, um, and against, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Whew, boy, that's some enemy. <laughs> Let's just look at that enemy again. Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness of heavenly places. <sighs> that's a lot. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Two, there's two things in this that he emphasizes. First of all, he says, put on the whole armor. The first thing he says is put on the whole 
armor. I think that sometimes we think we don't need the whole armor. I don't need the whole armor. Come on, the whole armor? I don't need the breastplate or the helmet. I just need the shield today. Or I just need a helmet or a belt. I don't need the whole armor. You know why that is? If you ever thought to yourself, I don't really need the whole armor. I just need a piece of it today. That's because you don't really believe that this battle that Paul is writing about is real. If I don't really think that it's real, then I don't really need all of the armor. And do you know that that understanding of that unbelief in what Paul is talking about in terms of the battle that we're against is actually the most powerful weapon that the devil has? That you don't believe in the battle that's going on. You don't believe in the army that's against you. You don't believe it. That is the devil's powerful weapon. If you don't believe in me, he says, you know, there's a Keith Green song. Do you guys know that song? Where he, he talks about, oh, I used to have to do this. It's from the devil's perspective. He says, I used to have to do this and I used to do this. No, well, nobody believes in it any, anymore. I don't have to do anything. And we say, well, I don't really, you know, all, of the, all of these enemies that you're talking about, these principalities and the powers against the rules of darkness of this age, it all sounds like movie stuff. I don't really believe that's real. So I don't really need all this armor. The devil goes, good. I don't want you to have all the armor. I don't want you to put on any of it, actually. But Paul, Paul says, put on the whole armor. His second emphasis is the whole armor of God. Not my armor. It's not an armor of my making. It doesn't say put on the whole armor of Aaron. I wonder what that would look like, though. It'd be fancy. Yes. A one-piece silver jumpsuit to start. He doesn't say put on the armor of Aaron. He says put on God's armor. Did you know God has armor? Did you know that? You know in Isaiah 59, 17... Speaking of God, it says, um, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Sound familiar? Those are pieces of the armor that Paul's going to talk about here. It's God's armor. He's saying, you know what? I'm giving you my armor to protect you against the schemes of the devil. Put it all on. Put it all on. The whole armor. So he says, let's talk about what it is. 14, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. In verse 14, stand, therefore, stand. stand. You know, he's going to say the word stand, stand, stand a lot. There's a lot of stand in this. Do um, you know what that means, stand? It, it literally means to be established, to not be set off balance, firmly planted. If you were going to firmly plant yourself... I would do this, one foot a little forward, one foot a little back, spread out, shoulder width, pickleball in my hand. Now, this, that's different. But if I was going to stand firm so that I wasn't going to be moved, I would do this. This would be, I would stand. This, if you looked at me right now, and you, would you say that I was standing? You could say yes, it's okay. Or, or no, if you, don't, if you disagree, that's okay as well. You can leave. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't leave. We still have to go. Stand. Therefore, having girded your waist with truth, 
girded your waist with truth. It's actually, I mean, we kind of imagine it as like a belt as part of the armor, but there is really no belt in the armor. What he's saying here, gird, when it said you would gird up your loins, what they would do is because they wore these kind of like robes, whenever it was time to work, whenever they were preparing for active work, they would pull up their tunic and they would tuck it up inside their belt. So it looked like they would have like like pants on, like pantaloons kind of a thing. But that allowed them now to do active work. And so look what he's saying is that that's the first step so that we could stand is prepare yourself for active work. Having then put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, not our righteousness. Remember whose armor this is. This is the Lord's armor. So this is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are putting on. So we are preparing ourselves for active work. We're putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation is just a word that means readiness. It's very interesting because as Paul is maybe thinking about Isaiah 59, 17 and thinking about God's armor, he's also, by the way, chained to a Roman soldier as he's in house arrest in Rome. Um, and he's maybe looking at this soldier and he's thinking, oh, he's got a helmet and a breastplate and, and you know, his, uh, he's girded up for active work and he's got these shoes on. His feet are shod <laughs> with these sandals. Now, the Roman army was famous for their footwear, actually, because they had these thick leather soles, and in those soles, they had metal studs underneath so that they could plant their feet and not be pushed back, right? Even if they were on a slippery, wet road, it was muddy or something, because of these studded sandals that they had on their feet, even if they were being pushed back, they could stand firm and not be moved because they had shod their feet with these amazing sandals that the Roman army had given them. And that's what Paul is saying is that, that we are to be able to stand firm because we shod our feet with what? The gospel. That we, when we are prepared with the gospel, cannot be moved back or pushed off balance. That is so important. So important. The entire foundation of our faith is based on the gospel message that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and that believing that he did that is what gives you a a path into heaven that you cannot be moved off of. The gospel is what we shot our feet with the readiness to say to somebody in season and out of season, the hope that we have in heaven is because of the gospel. And I will not be moved off of that. That is what these, and these are in an important order. Above all, so Uh, In verse 16, above all, it makes it sound in English like he's saying, but, you know, those things are good, but this is the really important stuff. But above all, it actually means in addition to everything I just told you, okay? So in addition to these verses, these things that I just told you of getting ready for active work, putting on the righteousness of Christ, being prepared to not be moved off of the truth of the gospel, take the shield of faith, which you will be able, to, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so, when Paul is looking at this Roman soldier and thinking about their equipment, 
that they have. He's talking about the shield. Now, we're not talking about like a little round, maybe Viking type of shield. We're talking about a full length wooden shield that was reinforced probably with leather um, that they could hold and cover their entire body so that when arrows were shot at them, they would not hit them. They wouldn't even penetrate the shield, but they would stick in the front there. And he's saying that taking this shield that covers your entire person and holding it up in front of you will allow you to, what's it say? Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What are the what what are the fiery darts of the enemy? What are those fiery darts? Fear, anxiety, lies, hateful words, imagination. You know, imagination, it sounds funny to say that because we're like, imagination is a good thing. We want our kids to have a, an active imagination. That's not what I mean. Imagination is like, have you ever had an imaginary conversation with somebody? Um, that didn't actually ever happen, but by the time you actually talk to them, you're already mad at them because what you imagined was happening in that conversation. You're like, well, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say that, and then they'll say this, and I'll say this, and I'll be like, ha! And then you meet them, and you're like, so there! <laughs> like, what? That's the imagination that I'm talking about. And the devil's just stoking that. It's just stoking it. These fiery dots, these fear, anxiety, lies, hateful words, imaginations, things that you think have been said but haven't been said. These are the fiery darts, the fire, the flaming arrows that the devil shoots at you, that you can be defended by the shield. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects your head. Right? Where's the helmet go? Right on your head. Protect your head. That's that's as you're as you're girding up for active duty, as you're taking up the shield to protect yourself. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. Protect your head. What does that mean for us? I mean, literally, Paul's not talking about actual armor that you're going to be putting on. So what could that what could that helmet, that thing that protects your head be? How do you protect your mind? Turn your TV off once in a while. Try that. Listen to a good message. Read the Bible. Protect yourself from the bad stuff getting in, but put some good stuff in instead. Protect your head. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Let me ask you this. First of all, this is the first piece of the armor that isn't just defense, right? That sword, there is um, more than just defending yourself with the sword. But I want to I point something out. What if I had, uh, what if you came to me and said, hey, do you have a sword? And I said, I do. Like, we're getting ready for battle. And like, do you have a sword? And I'm like, I do. I have, it's a really nice one. It's at home. It's on the shelf. It's really big. It's one of those big ones. It's on this great rack that I created just for it. It's super shiny. I never touch it. No one ever touches it. We don't take it down there. But when people come in, they see it, and they're very impressed by my great big sword that's up on the wall. It's all shiny. Um, it's a little dusty on the top. And, uh, but I've never used it. I've never touched it. I don't even know how to swing it. What good is that to me in battle? Is it good at all? No. Well, if the sword of the Spirit is the Word, 
Do you have one of these? Is it at home on a fancy table? Never touched, never opened, never read? Are you trained on how to use it? If it is, what good is it to you? It's like a shiny sword up on the wall that no one ever touches. And so we're supposed to take this word, be trained in how to use it. That means this is how it works. I'll show you. Step one. If that's all you can handle today, just go with that. But tomorrow, read the words. The the letters go together. They make words. The words go together and form sentences. That's how it works. Get in and start reading it. And in a year, you're going to find out, like, you're going to be taping pages back in. And, uh, you know, you might have a few notes written in. And uh, um, I once read a quote that says that a Bible that is falling apart is usually the sign of a life that isn't. Get your Bible up off the wall, dust it off, get your fingerprints on it, open it up, read it, learn how to use the sword of the Spirit. Then Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. And Paul says, um, at the end, he says, you've got the armor, you're protected, you've got your sword, you know how to use it. Now what do you do? Pray. 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 What do you do? Excellent. Pray. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Pray. See, the thing is, and Paul knows this, this, he was like, we want stuff. Just tell me what to do. Let me get the armor. I'll put the armor on. I'm going to do my feet and I'm going to gird up my waist. And I got the plane. I got the thing and the helmet and the sword and I'm ready. Let's go. And Paul says, wait, let's pray. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pray. Pray is like our last resort all the time. I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll pray. How about, you know what we should do? Let's pray first and see what God wants us to do. Pray always. In verse 19, he says, and for me, and for me, pray for me, because, you know, uh, that the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Gang, this is my prayer for you. I want this to be your prayer for me. That the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I pray that's you. I pray it's me also. He says, Paul goes on to say, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that, I, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, uh, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. And I believe that Tychicus was the guy that Paul gave this letter to, to take. And Tychicus has been with him a bunch of places. You can find him in the New Testament. But you know what, Tychicus, you know what his name means? By chance. Just means by chance. And, and I kind of laugh at that and I think, uh, I wonder if Tychicus just by chance met Paul somewhere. 
and then got pulled into Paul's ministry. Look, he's the guy that's delivering this amazing letter to the church in Ephesus and who knows where else. And he just maybe happened to meet him by chance. I wonder if that's why you're here. You just by chance came today. Like it's New Year's Day. I don't have anything else. Everything's closed. I'll go to church. Or you're here by chance. Somebody invited you and you're here by chance. And maybe this is the beginning of something amazing, of something that God wants to do in your life as he did something amazing in the life of Tychicus. Maybe he wants to do something amazing. In fact, I know he does. Maybe today is the first day. Today is the first day of the rest of your year. That actually works right now, doesn't it? Maybe you're here by chance, but really it's not by chance right? It's a divine appointment. And he says, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be, to, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. You know what's interesting? that's different about this letter than other of Paul's letters. And, and, and many of Paul's other letters, and even we saw this in John's letters too, is that he says goodbye to or has greetings from specific people. It's like, oh, you know Bob, and you know Sue, and you know Julie, and they say hi. And he doesn't do that at the end of this letter, which really kind of leads me to believe what I thought at the beginning was that this was a letter that he wrote for many churches, not just Ephesus. There's no personal kind of, you know, Jeff and Steve and Joe kind of a thing at the end of this. He says, grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Ephesians. Check. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to go through your word like this, Lord. I, I thank you for the, the moments of, of laughter, Lord, but I pray that the sincerity and the intensity of the message has sunk in deep to our hearts today, Lord, that we would realize that we need the whole armor of God, Lord, not because we're weak, but because the enemy is so powerful, Lord, but not more powerful than you. Lord, thank you for giving us your armor. Lord, thank you for there even being a way. Lord, thank you for what you've mentioned here over and over again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, that I might be in your presence in heaven forever because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you personally for the day that I realized that I was a sinner in need of a savior. Lord, and I thank you that you pulled me in at that moment, Lord. I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who hasn't done that, Lord, that you would pull them in, that you would draw them in, Lord, that if they're here by chance today, Lord, that you would have them realize that it was not a chance, but it was your divine appointment, Lord. Lord, that they would, that they would realize that they are in need of a Savior and that you died for them. And they would say, I believe that now. I believe it, Lord. Come and save me. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we go out into this new year, Lord, that we would go out with a good attitude. Lord, out to our homes, our families, our jobs, our schools, doing everything that we do as if we were doing it for you, Lord, because your word says we are. Lord, we 
look forward to your return. Lord, but not a second before you know the day. Not a second before the day that you've appointed it. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.